This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On today's show, author Christoph Borgak joins me to discuss his brand new graphic novel, Under Kingdom. My name is Justin Hamilton, and I feel more comfortable being over the top on Big Squid. Welcome to the show today. We have a wonderful chat with author Christoph Borgak discussing his graphic novel Under Kingdom. Before we bring Christoph in, a couple of quick plugs. I'm performing in Canberra this Wednesday at the Canberra Comedy Club. If you're in the area and free, I'd love to see you there. That's Wednesday, the 3rd of May in Canberra, in case you're listening to this podcast three years from now and wonder where I am. Uh, when you sign up for the Big Squid Patreon, you have an episode dedicated to you. And today's shout-out goes to Jess Marwinney. Thank you for being a supporter, Jess. I hope you enjoy this delightful chat with the young author. And uh, Jess, keep an eye out for a new Patreon-only podcast that's dropping this week. It's an interview with Ronnie Chang from 2013 on my original podcast, Can You Take This Photo, Please? It's a great chat with the fantastic young comedian before he became the worldwide success he is today. Uh, you'll be able to access that later this week, Jess. Uh, over at Patreon, there's a lot of bonus content, including interviews with Tom Gleason, Will Anderson, Cal Wilson. They're all from uh, Can You Take This Photo, Please, as well. And there's all sorts of other podcasts as well, including audio blogs and works in progress. If you'd like to sign up for this and more, head to patreon.com forward slash Justin Hamilton and you'll find a tier that suits you. I'll swing by at the end to discuss what's coming up. But in the meantime, let's bring in Christoph. We were just having a bit of a chat before we got into the recording of this podcast. Uh, Long-time listeners of the Big Squid podcast know that uh, often uh, 
Often there's been like a half hour chat before the recording actually begins. And uh, I'm throwing this from uh, left to centre for you, Christoph, which yeah. is um, I was very lucky as a kid to be reading comics uh, at a young age where suddenly there was this guy from England called Alan Moore who was writing Swamp Thing. And then that made me keep an eye out for what was coming out, things like, and then suddenly it was Watchmen. And I was there for that kind of start of, you know, where we are now, which is yeah. uh, graphic novels are for grown-ups, you know, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Uh, recently, I don't know if you've read it, but I read his novella, What We Can Know About Thunderman. And it has kind of, it's like Alan Moore brought me into the world of comics and then I feel like he's doing his best to push me out of the world of comics. <laughs> and, and what I had to remember was it's, it's not comics. It's, I, I think I'm kind of done with superhero comics, but I still really enjoy original stuff like uh, your work, uh, uh, you know, oh, you. Baker and Phillips, mm. you know, like the, the medium is still great. And uh, I was wondering, uh, you know, since we're talking comics, let's let's really get into a very comic book kind of question, which is, uh, what's your secret origin? <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking about this in terms of like not going into deep. Um, but interesting, you talk about finding sort of comics as a, as a kid. I didn't find them till I was sort of almost twenty. Right. Um, yeah. So I was brought up uh, Seventh Day Adventist, which is quite a conservative sort of. I guess, look, it was a cult up until the 70s, but it's essentially a, a fairly conservative Christian denomination. And a lot, yeah. of, so a lot of the media I had access to as a kid was quite limited, both a little bit from my parents, but honestly a lot from myself in terms of, you know, I think a lot of uh, conservative religions kind of teach you to, to self-censor and self-monitor the, the, the media you consume. So I didn't really start actually, like, engaging with mainstream pop culture really until kind of i was in my 20s great and you know and, and i think it was sort of 2009 when i was 19 i started reading i watched all the x-men films and was like oh I, I want more of this so i started reading comics and that kind of and then from there i would just read x-men comics and then marvel comics and then it kind of branched out until i was sort of went to the evolution you know that you're at now where you kind of follow creators and creative teams yes yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Because uh, it means you came to the medium without really any preconceptions. And I feel like there would be a lot of people out there now who their first uh, encounter with these kinds of uh, now mainstream characters is through movies or TV. Yes. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I mean, that's, you know, I, I think that's ultimately, you know, I... I have mixed feelings about that. And I, I don't know if you've talked to, you, I believe your friend with Siobhan, who I know isn't, uh, who isn't a huge fan of the movies, you know, and sort of struggles with the way a lot of the time it feels like it sort of, particularly with the Marvel stuff, takes from the comics, but never really gives back. Right, right. You, yeah, there's something uh, that I feel like what's happened, and look, this is just my perspective. Like, if, if people still enjoy them, I totally get it. But from sure. from my side of things, it is uh, there seems to be a lack of creativity, and it, it feels very much like they make the movies the way they used to make the comics in the '60s, where it's like Kevin Feige is Stan Lee. He's saying, "This is what we need to do," and then you send it off. Uh, back then you'd send off the artists like Ditko or Kirby or that to draw it up and then he'd come and add dialogue. And this, you send it off to a bigger team, of course, 
they create the movie. But what it means is it's homogenized and, and, and everything yeah. kind of hits a, a similar beat. And it, it, like, I want more experimentation. I want, you know, the, I've banged on about this on the podcast as well, but the difference between everything, everywhere, all at once playing with the multiverse and Doctor Strange is light years apart. And and Doctor yep. Strange has, what, four times bigger budget. Mm. And you, you, you get you get half a second of Paint World and you go, oh, no, 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 go back. Go, <laughs> go back to Paint World. I want to be yep. in Paint World. So um, was, it, was it mind-blowing for you as a young fella to be watching the X-Men movies and then go back and read the comics and go, wait a minute, Wolverine's five foot three. <laughs> <laughs> there was some of that. I think what kind of hit me you know, with just how, like, insanely complex everything is. And to an, I don't want to say convoluted, but, like, because of the, you know, the amount of, particularly X-Men, the amount of characters and the amount of yeah. history, you know, with that, with that group of heroes, it's just, it can be quite overwhelming. And I think the one good thing that the movies do do, um, for the most part, is kind of synthesize and, and simplify a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, I remember when I was getting into comics, I probably spent a couple of hours researching, like, where do I start? Like, it's quite, you know, and, and I was lucky enough that, you know, the run I was recommended kind of clicked for me, um, you know, and it was all good, but it could have easily gone another way. Uh, can I ask what that run was? Yes, yeah. The reason I bring it up is I have a weird, <laughs> it was Joss Whedon's uh, Astonishing X-Men run. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, you know, as... Obviously, a lot of it has come out about Josh, Josh since I, I read that run. So I don't think I can go back and read it now. But at the time, it really connected with me. Look, it's uh, regardless of the person and, uh, and, and what we know about him now, that run is actually a perfect jumping on point because it's, it's coming through. Um, it's coming out of the Grant Morrison period where he completely uh, revolutionized how uh, – uh, the X-Men stories were told. I think he was the first person to kind of almost use mutants as uh, African-American culture and the way people are trying to glom onto and appropriate aspects of yeah. it and all these kinds of interesting ideas. And then, you know what Marvel's like. It's, it's all about the status quo. So then they were like, right, we need to get back to costumes and we need to get back to simple storytelling that you c- can get people involved. And... That's a pretty good run, and it's got all that beautiful uh, John Cassidy yeah, work as well. Yeah, the art's stunning, and, you know, it's a small cast, and yeah. it's very kind of focused on the the relationships between the cast really play uh, front and centre, which I think really, yeah, it just kind of made it really accessible. Yeah, yeah sure, there were, like, you know, some of the high-concept stuff with, you know, Breakworld and, and Cassandra Nova and all that, but the actual kind of heart of the comic was very, very grounded. Yeah, yeah, it really was. So, um, just getting back to uh, you know, you were brought up Seventh Day Adventists. So how how did you, and and you it, what you said is really interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize this, but there is a lot of self censoring. There oh. is a lot of I can't do that, or or not even I can't do that. I uh, I have no interest in that because this is who I am. So how did X Men slip through the cracks? Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, so just for, I guess, a, a timeline reference, I deconverted when I was about 21, but I sort of found X-Men when I was 19. So it was still, you know, I, I think there's something universal about X-Men. I think, you know, you know, like as, as cliche as if everyone's felt like an outcast at some point. And, yeah. you know, this is it's interesting because particularly with modern 
funnily enough, uh, without going into it, you know, too much, but with a lot of uh, modern Christianity, or particularly, you know, about the more kind of extreme versions of it, there is a real feeling of being an outcast. And right. even though, you know, in many ways it's the dominant culture, you know, those people often feel like and talk about themselves as if they're the underdog. So I, you know, I, I you know, so I, I imagine it was maybe part of that as well that kind of, you know, connected me to the X-Men at the time. And now obviously my relationship with it is very different. But yeah, it, it, it's kind of interesting. I think the X-Men just appeals to everyone, you know, regardless of your, your political uh, affiliations. That's uh, really interesting, isn't it? Because even the uh, one of the fascinating things about, I think, the way left and right culture interact with each other is that I feel like on the left, uh, that's where a lot of the uh, innovations and breakthroughs happen in life, and then the right appropriates them and and you know so yeah. so once upon a time like on a very you know superficial level it was grunge music in the 90s and the guys uh, you know in those bands and girls in those bands wearing you know denim jackets and everything because where they performed in Seattle was cold and then 2 years later when grunge is massive you've got P, uh, models in Milan on the catwalk wearing $200,000 denim mm. jackets you know so taking that back to what you were talking about, feeling like an outsider, like that's what we've just witnessed and still witnessing in American politics where yeah. the, the the right wing, like the uh, militant right wing, I should say, yeah. uh, under Trump and all of those are all talking about how they're, how they're the underdog. And you're yeah, like... Yeah, 100%, even though they control the levers of power. But I think, yeah. yeah, I think there's something about feeling like the underdog that people will always kind of connect to and try and, try and be i think to an extent even if it's not factually at all accurate yeah it's so funny isn't it it's like it's, it's just a lot of people yelling at each other going no i've had it worse no no no, no. <laughs> i've had it worse <laughs> and trying to <laughs> talk themselves down to talk themselves up so uh, so you know i uh, i really enjoyed uh, under kingdom and what i'm curious about then is if if you weren't reading comics at a young age uh what, what were your early inspirations yeah, look, not there's two kind of two kind of key inspirations that probably sound a bit odd at each other. The first wouldn't be surprising given, you know, uh, what I was talking about earlier about sort of being quite strict about the media I had access to. But the Narnia books were kind of, you know, yeah, my 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 entry into fantasy and were kind of, you know, a huge part of my childhood and a huge part of kind of me exploring reading and 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 the fantasy genre. And I had very mixed feelings towards Narnia today for a lot of obvious reasons. Um, but but you know when you were, I read them as a kid as well like I had no idea what the parables were like I was just like Aslan's a lion. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah uh, yeah so Narnia books and the other kind of one of the few kind of pieces of media that I did act that I was very into uh, as a kid was you know as it was for a lot of people in my generation specifically the funny thing about the Simpsons is I feel like everyone you kind of talk to. You know, obviously everyone reveres seasons one to ten, but for me, it was I didn't really get into it till two thousand and two. So I, I've seen right. some of the older seasons, but like I haven't seen the monorail episode. I haven't seen a bunch of like right. the classic early episodes. For me, my seasons are like ten, anywhere between ten to twenty. It's kind of right. I, I know all those episodes really well. That yeah. So that was the other big inspiration. You know, I the thing I one of the many things I love about The Simpsons is joke density. You know, yes. in terms of every second thing someone says is a joke, 
every time you like freeze the frame, you'll find some sort of joke, whether it's on a sign or a shop or something. And I just love that. Um, you know, the idea that like it rewards you for paying attention. And it also, to me, this kind of this accessibility of, well, if that joke offends you or you don't like that joke, that's fine. We'll have another one in a few seconds for you. Right. It also takes the pressure off the jokes as well. I, uh, I talk about this with uh, young comedians who uh, – one of the one of the best things you can do in a stand up routine is is have a little joke that helps you get from A to to C. You know, you just put it right yeah. in the middle there, and it it's almost an aside. It's not it's not something that you stop on for a hey kind yeah, yeah. of big laugh. It's just it's just something that is amusing that helps you get to the punchline, which also then takes a little bit of pressure off the punchline because they're already having a good time on the way. The the longer you go without a joke, the more it's like fuck, this better pay off, right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah. And the, uh, now, now that you mention it, there are heaps of jokes in this. Like, you know, that uh, that uh, correlation to The Simpsons does come through in the work because there's stacks of jokes. Like, there's just... Uh, and we'll, we'll get more into uh, the breakdown of uh, some of the stuff that you're doing in the graphic novel. But there, there there's there's whole panels that I reckon, uh, especially the the way where you're describing what characters are like, yeah. it's... It's it's joke after joke after joke, but there are oh, also yeah. character beats as well. So I can really see that in your work. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, that was, you know, I looked back and I actually part of it was like, did I cram too many in? But I definitely just, any funny idea I had, I just, yeah. I just whacked it in there. Yeah, and I think that was very much kind of chasing that, yeah, that Simpsons vibe of like, I just want you to feel like this good value for money joke-wise. And yeah, the idea that like, if this doesn't kind of, enough jokes that like, something is going to really connect with you. You know, five might not hit, but, you know, one hopefully will. Yeah, I think you have a much uh, bigger strike rate than that. But thank, uh, thank but I, I understand the, uh, the, the way to go into it. And also, you know, like, I, I know a lot of old farts like myself, and, and they do bang on about The Simpsons going, oh, you know what, I just stopped watching after season six. And, you know, they should have stopped there. But if they'd stopped there, then, you know, your generation may have missed it. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, a good friend of mine, an artist, an amazing artist in England, uh, Beck Kubrick, had just finished watching every season of The Simpsons. Goodness. And, and like, liked a bunch of the later stuff that I haven't really messed with yet, you know? It's, yeah. I, I think that show is just, it's probably going to be on forever, and there's a reason for that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's funny. Sometimes, uh, even even if a series kind of has hit its peak, uh, if it still maintains a level of excellence, you, you really take it for granted. I, I'm a little bit like that with South Park. I, I never think to watch South Park. And then mm. sometimes one of my friends will say, hey, you have to watch this episode. Yeah. I'll watch it. And I'll laugh my ass off. And I think it's honestly one of the funniest things I've seen in ages. And then I honestly just don't think to get back to it for yeah. for ages. And it's not it's, – it's because it's a part of everyday life to such an extent that it doesn't doesn't end up becoming appointment viewing. Totally, yeah. It's an embarrassment of Richard scenario. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it, I'm going to. I forgot to check uh, just before. Uh, Marie Enger is yeah, that yeah, yeah. their name. Enger. Uh, how did you uh, meet, and uh, how did you work together? Because her artwork is it's really dynamic. Like it's really uh, got a kinetic energy to it, and you know you go between the panels yeah. so beautifully. You you know exactly where to go. Um, how did you meet and uh, how did you kind of create this world together? Totally. I mean, 
yeah, the first thing I'll say about Marie's art and working with them, I've, you know, every writer who's worked with Marie, I think, figures out that the, the kind of keyword with Marie is energy. You know, yeah. they bring so much energy to the page. So, and, you know, if you, and they will obviously, every panel, they want to give it their all in terms of backgrounds and, 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 just, and detail and energy. So a lot of my job was to kind of be like, hey, Marie, you don't have to do a background there. You can just do the character. It looks great. Let's, you know, you, you don't have to do more work. Right. Um, yeah. So a lot of, that was kind of, I think a lot of my job was like, no, this is perfect. You yeah. know, and helping uh, them hold back because they're just yeah. Did she do that with you with the with the jokes? Did she say hey? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. But there was definitely a bit of uh, a lot of the definitely a bit of like, particularly when I was writing the Mothman character. Initially, he he talks in 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 the original script, and then Marie just one day was like, "To me, Mothman doesn't talk." And I was like, "All right." I nodded, and then that was it. That was like the end of the discussion, and then I just Great. rewrote it. So there was definitely like a back and forth of like um, a lot of the characters like that appeared in the book were just based off like designs Marie had already done. I'd be like, hey, who's this guy? Or they would send me pictures. That's how Lemon the Dragon became oh, a thing. They right. sent me a picture of Lemon was like, this is Lemon. He's got wings on his butt. I'm like, cool. He's in the book now. So that was kind <laughs> of a big part of it. And just coming back to, to how we met. Um, so... In 2018, I went to my first US convention, uh, Emerald City in, in Seattle, and I'd been a fan of Marie's stuff and sort of seen their stuff online, and they were tabling. Um, and at the time, they put out this zine called Punks Win, which, where they'd illustrated a bunch of like punk songs um, and turned them into comics, and a few of the bands we both really liked. So we kind of vibed on that, hung out a bunch at the con, and then maybe six Six months later, they kind of messaged me being like, hey, this publisher wants me to reach it to, to send them a pitch, you know, but they want like a middle grade thing. I don't have any ideas. Do you have anything? And we kind of, you know, what I brought them was the very bare bones of Under Kingdom. And we just kind of went back and forth. And a lot of kind of what we talked about was that we were both big fans of the um, Netflix uh, kids show Troll Hunters, right. um, which is the Guillermo del Toro one. And, and a lot of it was kind of our riff on that. Right. Well, like, here's what we liked about the show. Here's what we, here's the direction we would have gone in if we were in control. So rather yeah. than being like, oh, they did this wrong, it was more like, hey, it would be cool if we did, took this stuff from the show and went in and, and zigged where it zagged. You know, that is uh, a really good lesson for people listening, which is if, you, if you're watching a TV series and you love it, and uh, but then you get frustrated because it, it goes in a different direction. Create your version. <laughs> totally. Oh, me. And sometimes it's not even, you know, especially with Troll Hunters Breath, it wasn't even frustration. It was yeah. more just like, it would be interesting if they did a different path. Yeah. You know, that's kind of, you know, and this is something Marie and I had discussed before working on Under Kingdom is the idea that, like, a lot of boys' media, particularly the stuff I grew up with, was all, and Troll Hunters is the example of this, is all kind of violence or, or, or combat focus. Yeah. Um, you know, the character has to learn how to fight or do some sort of physical thing. And, you know, that's what happens with troll hunters. And we were like, well, what if it's the opposite? You know, what if it's, you know, the world is pushing this character towards violence and towards yeah. combat and, and ultimately he finds a workaround. And that's yeah. kind of where, yeah, what, what Under Kingdom is about and kind of when we stumbled upon like the heart of the book. Yeah, right. That's interesting because uh, the, the character of Shay, who is our, our, our lead character, is a pacifist. And yeah. doesn't wa yeah. want to be engaging in that kind of stuff. So, and it's interesting. Uh, like one of my favourite uh, parts, which uh, turns up pretty early in the graphic novel, is with 
Ed, and Ed's getting picked on, <laughs> and and the and you, it's great because you have Shay off panel, and and uh, Shay's talking to the bullies and talking them through what they could be doing instead, and and, and at first you think, geez, this sounds a bit harsh, and then you realise what he's done is he's he's convinced these bullies to go off and and leave Ed alone. Yeah, and, and, and that's and that's a real. Uh, that's a really important character beat for the character. Yeah, you, you really get your head around him. Yeah, I think right from the beginning, uh, we kind of wanted to show you, who, you know, who Shay was. This is his deal, you know, so that when he kind of finds out about the Under Kingdom, which is a kingdom of, of monsters, but below his town, you, we kind of know that what they want from him, which is to be a warrior, is is not who he is and not what he does. Yeah, and that's interesting as well because I think a lot of young people go through the expectations of what their family want. Uh, what their family expect. Uh, I, I guess, uh, you know, maybe I'm drawing a long bow here, but, you know, uh, you, after you telling me you grew up in a Seventh-day Adventist house, you know, and then moving away from that and, and finding other parts of the world out there, uh, there's a little bit more of Shay in you than uh, I probably would have realised to begin with. Is that fair? Look, I, I think so. I think a lot of the stuff I do I'm fi- when I'm, you know, writing for, for kids or young adults, I'm finding a lot of what I do kind of deals with the, the, the conflict of what can you take from childhood and what yeah. do you kind of leave behind? And, and I think for me, Shay is a great example of like, you know, I think it, you know, as children and particularly, you know, in its simplest, you know, in its, in its simplest uncomplicated form, a lot of what I was taught, you know, around Christianity was about love and compassion and empathy. And then as you get older, it gets more complicated, you know, because yeah. everything's only extended for certain people, you know, and, and suddenly you find out that it's not really about love and empathy, but it's kind of trying to take that simplicity and that, that simple understanding of that I had as a child and, and, and be like, hey, it's actually okay to keep, to hold on to this, you know, and then how do you navigate the world with it? So that's kind of, yeah. So I definitely, yeah, look, I definitely think, you know, again, I want Shay to be a universal character, but he's, yeah, there's a lot of, lot of me there, I think. Yeah, but I think I think uh, having that aspect of you, which is uh, it's a unique experience for you, but it's also something that people can relate to, and I think yeah, that's 100%. why that you know, as I said, that's why really early on I'm on Shay's side, and it, it came it came down very early from that scene because I was oh, like, I'm so oh. glad. yeah, because it's you know you can you can see Shay thinking through the problem, and he's it's clever, like you know. He really uses uh, their biases against them mm. to help out his friend, and that's great. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I think that's kind of where I guess the you know the kind of adult aspect came into it in terms of like like Shay is kind, but he's also pragmatic. You yeah, know, he also understands that sometimes you have to appeal to people's worst nature to get ultimately what you want, which is a peaceful outcome. Yeah, you know. So I think that's kind of the. I guess the maturity I wanted to bring to the perspective outside of like, oh, be kind to everyone and they'll be kind to you because that's not how the world works. No. You know, the idea that, hey, you can navigate, you can navigate the world with kindness. You've just got to be pragmatic about it. Yeah. And uh, you can, sometimes you can just uh, not only use what you have at your disposal, but you can use, uh, in this case, it's the, the, the uh, intellectual weapons of bullying yeah, and, and, and and invert them in a way that, you know, the bullies go off. Like, in a weird way, I don't like those characters, but in a weird way, they were so easily manipulated. Uh, I, I found a part of them like, oh, you idiots. And you it know, kind of took I'm, the edge off them a bit too. 
I'm a big fan. I, you know, one of my favorite tropes in a lot of kids' media is just like the dumb, the dumb school bully trope is so much fun to play with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it, really fun. Yeah, and it, it kind of never gets old. No, and you know we've all we've all had that. Um, we've all had that encounter with. Yeah, uh... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. With the dumb bully, you know, and it's... Sometimes uh, you could easily win them over as well. Yeah, a hundred percent. They're kind of easily outmaneuvered, but you just don't always have maybe the <laughs> the patience or the skills to do it as a kid. Yeah, yeah. When I was younger, I was very lucky. I, I had a I had a pretty uh, bully free time in uh, in primary school and high school. I think it's uh, one of the things which I didn't realize until. Uh, why that was so because you know I was a small kid you know I was pretty short um and uh, uh a friend of mine said it's because I played basketball and because I played <laughs> basketball and I was short I had to carry myself bigger on you oh, know to be able to compete and he said what you don't realize is even though you know you're a short ass you don't think of yourself as short and I was like oh yeah like I know I'm short but if you said name, you know, twenty attributes of you off the top of your head, from you know to positive to negative, I would someone would say, you know, you're short, and I'd go, oh yes, and I'm short, <laughs> and but they're, they're things that you, um, you know, I kind of think of you know bullies back in the day, and I was uh, uh, I would get around them. I guess this is now that we're talking it out loud. That's what appealed about that scene was because yeah. I, I it was through. Uh, kind of holding myself uh in in a, in a different standard uh but uh i was also pretty funny as a kid as well and it's amazing how oh, humor, humor gets you out humor of trouble goes such a long way it's such a good yeah. defense mechanism yeah you can make someone laugh and they're you know yeah. they're like you, you know even on the most basic level they're like oh yeah well you know it's gonna beat you up but fuck you funny and you go yeah, great <laughs> we're good let's keep going <laughs> uh but it's interesting what you're talking about with shay uh and you were talking about uh you know uh, the storytelling and uh, some of the tropes like the uh you know the the dumbass bully that you can turn the tables on uh what's interesting in this as well there are there are some classic storytelling tropes like you know having to go to school and juggle yeah. this responsibility. That's classic stuff, which is great. Uh, but then you're also pushing against some of the tropes, you know, like very early on, uh, we learned that the monsters are the people that, uh, you know, were were picked on and, and yeah. driven away by 
society and by, you know, who we would normally side with. So uh, how did you and Marie work out which tropes to lean into and which tropes to explore and, and, yeah. and change? That's a great question. I mean, I think, well, you know, when writing for, when writing stuff for younger people, the first, at least for me, I find there's always a balance between nostalgia and, yep. and pushing forward, you know? Yes. And I, I think you can't write for kids without nostalgia. You know, you need to empathize with what you liked as a kid, with what you were interested in, with the way it felt to be a kid. I, I think you just can't write effectively for kids if you don't do that. But then on the flip side, you can get stuck in that rut where you just recreate the media you liked at that time without kind of thinking about what what about it appealed and how you can translate it for, for a modern-day audience. A great example of this is, is like in indie comics, there are so many Ninja Turtles ripoffs all by guys in their like, you know, late, uh, <laughs> late 30s, uh, late, <clears throat> mid to late 30s because they love Ninja Turtles so they just make their own version of it. But it's, right. it's, there's a difference between recreating and actually deconstructing, you know, and so... A lot of the tropes we went with were tropes that really resonated. You know, the, the chosen one trope is such, as a kid, you know, I think it's so important that kids feel like, not necessarily special, but that they have agency and what they do, do matters and that there is a part for them to play, you know. So that trope to me is so important. Um, with, you know, with, with, with the monsters, again, I think it's the underdog thing. Yeah. Um, you know, and yet, you know, I don't think the book maybe would work if the monsters were, you know, obviously... We can't, they're monsters, so that some, sometimes their intentions or the way they do things are kind of weird, you know, yeah. or, or strange or come across as, you know, aggressive. But at the end of the day, you know, they, they kind of need to be likable. Um, and it's interesting. I was thinking about where that kind of, I guess, that approach came from. And I was very, another one of the, the kind of touch points I had for pop culture growing up was Warhammer. So I still, you know, Warhammer fantasy was a big part of my late childhood and it's still something i do today and one of my favorite things about kind of a, warhammer is as fantasy is kind of crazy it's all it, all every fantasy idea is in warhammer pretty much yeah but because they basically you know the the law and and the stories exist to make you buy the little models that you paint it means that all kind of the factions including the evil ones have stories and will have novels about their characters and also it kind of forces you to empathize with like a goblin or like a, a you know, a demon worshipping mass murderer or like these insane characters. And I, and I think that's kind of what I liked about Underkingdom is like the idea that monsters more or less represent like uh, just an exaggerated part of humanity or, you know, a human element taken to the extreme. So it was about making that kind of relatable and, and not necessarily so, you, you know, can excuse them but you understand why they what they do and why they do it in their world yeah well that's uh, getting to the heart of xenophobia isn't it is the fear of the unknown and uh, yeah. what, what you're allowing these monsters to be is uh you know you you, you get where what's making them tick and then but also there's such a broad range of monsters as well like some of them uh you know quite grotesque and some of them are borderline cuddly you know yeah 100 percent. and i mean Marie and I kind of pulled from everywhere in terms of, you know, so Marie is big into, big into like cryptid. Um, so that was, you know, they kind of get advised on a lot of the cryptid stuff. Right. I used to devour mythology as a kid. So there's a lot of kind of world mythology, um, bit of D&D stuff thrown in there. And then yeah. the other kind of element that Marie and I both kind of had in common was just the love of nature and animals. And that was yeah. kind of, particularly with the imps. I mean, imps are, 
imps are parrots essentially. Yes. You know, in in this in this book, you know, Marie had three cockatiels that kind of run her life, and they all played very heavy inspiration <laughs> for the imps and just you know the idea that this tiny tiny creature that's like way smarter than it should be for its size and just is, but isn't quite smart enough to like use its brain to do anything constructive. Right. You know, uh, one of the, uh, I know it's weird to talk about, but one of the genuine joys of uh, the the first major lockdown that we experienced was because there was so little uh, stimulation going on in the world. And uh, where I live in Surrey Hills, you know, I live on Elizabeth Street, which, as you know, is a pretty busy street normally. Yeah, yeah. And because there was, there was so little traffic, uh, all the birds came back. Like, all the birds were just living out there. And, uh, like, I even had a day where I walked out to, you know, do my shopping. And there was, like, uh, an ibis, like, three crows, a couple of pigeons, all eating a squashed rat on the <laughs> middle of the street. And they all looked at me as if to say, what the fuck are you doing here? Like, this is, this is our place now. And the way they looked at me was so entertaining uh, uh, it it's kind of uh, ignited my, this love of birds now like i've always appreciated birds yeah. but now i'm really into their little personalities and the way they yeah. uh, conduct that's themselves the, that's the wonderful thing about like animals when they reach like a certain level of intelligence they yeah. just kind of develop, develop an undeniable personality that yeah i have two cats um and they are both you know dumb as bricks but also such distinct personalities that i i you know, every now every cat I meet, I'm like, "What's your deal?" You know, yeah. and, and I kind of, so and I yeah, birds are so similar. You know, yeah, um, in that way as well. Yeah, what are your secret thoughts? What are those conversations that you're having <laughs> together, you, you cheeky little buggers? Um, can we talk about Sabel? Uh, I would love who, that. Yeah, yeah. Sabel is uh, how would you just like? She's like the auntie, but she's also yeah. many things. At one point, she was an imaginary child. To Shay, <laughs> like, where, where did Sabelle come from? Yeah, I mean, Sabelle is kind of pure chaos, fun. Yeah, is this fun chaotic energy, and she's really inspired by, um, you know, uh, something else that was a big inspiration on Under Kingdom was the cartoon Gravity Falls, right? Uh, which kind of came out I think like twenty fourteen for for Disney and kind of paved the way in terms of like it's it's a cartoon for kids and it kind of deals a lot with like cryptids and conspiracy theories and stuff, but it's like genuinely hilarious right an, and a lot of the humor is very dark for children like for children um and and it kind of i think just kind of for a lot of people myself included just kind of changed what cartoons for kids could be right in terms of like you can deal with big stuff you can have like you can actually have really dark humor whilst also making it appropriate for kids yeah. Um. And one of the, the things that we kind of loved about that show is the one of the characters, uh, Grunkle Stan, who's the character, who's the the two main characters, Mabel and Dipper's great uncle, is essentially like a con man and a criminal. Yeah. Um. Like the opening sequence of the show features him like running with a cash register. Like there's no, right. <laughs> you know, and he like runs this thing called the Mystery Shack, which is essentially like full of like fake uh, cryptids that he's made and like all the, you know, and, and he's just like a hustler essentially. <laughs> so he kind of opened up uh, the idea that like, Oh, a character can be like, you can have a character be good, but also like chaotic and not like, not a piece of shit necessarily, but just yeah. like, Sabelle certainly isn't, but she's like, 
certainly not like a lawful person and certainly quite chaotic and and messy in the way she kind of yeah. does <laughs> does life yeah. and a lot of that is you know the fact that she can turn into anyone um because she's a changeling and in this world in particular she has a power where she can kind of anyone she can think of she can turn into yeah. whereas most changelings can only copy uh what already exists so he, she kind of creates all these different characters to help her get out of trouble or you know or just because she wants to and then tends to lose track of them yeah um, great and it's also you know it, it's it's another lesson for kids as well which is like h- how many times do you have a friend or do you meet someone else's friend and on the surface you think why are you friends with that person because they mm. have this this and this that is quite clearly shonky about them but within the confines and uh the 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 relationship itself there there's so many other things going on it's so much more complex and so like you know you can you can still have someone that you you know adore as a friend for for decades that you you probably wouldn't trust them around your girlfriend (laughs) Yeah, I yeah, I, I think and I think for me it's also that idea that like cuz I think as a kid you're really black and white so a lot of the time yeah. morality, morality and kind of obeying the law or you know conforming with ideas of politeness is you know is oh that's what a good person is. So I think yeah. it's important particularly you know as in 2023 where uh you know laws and 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 legislation don't necessarily re- relate to what is ethically good. You right. know, particularly, uh, particularly, you know, the US again being a, a pretty extreme example of that. Yeah, some stuff going on over there. You know, I think it's important for kids to to be able to trust their own sense of like, oh no, like I know what a good person is. You know, yeah, I don't need someone else or like whether they conform to this idea of you know niceness to be whether they're actually a good person or not. I can inherently tell. Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, and Sabelle is uh, perfect for that. Uh, what a delightful character. One of the other things that I loved uh, uh, about the way you told the story is uh, you have the explanation panels for the various monsters. So you'll be, yeah. uh, for everyone listening, you, you're reading and then it's uh, it just kind of uh, stops and you will get an image of a monster and then it's uh, you get all these facts about them and it, for me it was a cross between uh, Dungeons and Dragons but I'm guessing yeah, it's more 100%. Warhammer a little bit a little bit kind yeah of thing. I yeah. mean D&D is a, a pretty good example but like you know uh, sort of at, like I used to read a bunch of like fact books as a kid so it's kind of like that as well like yeah. kind of like an, an, a, na- a nature book or like uh, animal encyclopedia mixed with like a D&D monster manual and and also for me, I don't know if you've ever seen these because they, uh, they would have come out before you were into comics. But there was the uh, the uh, official handbook of the Marvel Universe, which was literally uh, issues of comics, which would have like a picture of Captain America, oh, and then yes. they would summarize yeah. their whole history and their first appearance and that. And it would it would be everything from you know your, your main characters like you know the Fantastic Four, etc., to you know weird ass characters like Blue Diamond who only ever appeared in a few issues and or or Sabre and, and characters like that and uh, and that's part of what appealed to me because it felt like I was uh, getting little uh, guidebooks as I went totally, through the story. Yeah and no that was yeah that was very deliberate and I, I haven't read any of the Marvel ones. I've read like when I was trying to get into Valiant comics I read a bunch of like the Valiant ones oh, where it's the same yeah. thing. It's kind of super condensed information. Yeah which is yeah, uh, you know, that was, I did them because they were fun, but also the less interesting reason of, you know, we had a pretty tight page count of 88 pages. Yeah. Um. So it was a real good way to just kind of 
do a fun info dump and yeah. accelerate the story as well in a way that kind of felt fun and unique to the book. Yeah, yeah, I think they really work. I think they they were nice little uh, breather spots as well. So you get uh, it just kind of changes up the uh, the rhythm of what you're reading, and then it's like, whew, and then you get straight back into the story. Totally, think, yeah. yeah, and hopefully create space. I mean, because you know, eighty eight pages isn't you know super long, so we kind of wanted to do what we could to make the book feel big. Yeah, you know, bigger that bi- bigger than it is. Yeah, it makes the universe feel uh, well. It feels like I'm getting the tip of the iceberg, so which is which is great. Um, there is a couple of uh, other things that I just wanted to uh, particularly uh, ask you about. Uh, I love Ched Ball. Uh, for, so for everyone uh, listening, uh, the, the the bullies that I was talking about earlier, uh, they they play a game called Ched Ball, and when they describe it, it's essentially soccer. <laughs> I mean. There's nothing to me, like, there's a few things I always find funny. And one of them is when someone thinks they've invented something, but it clearly already exists. Yes. I just think that's so funny. Is that a a real-life experience? Because I've had that quite a few times where someone says something to you and at the end of it you go, that's a cheeseburger, mate. (laughs) (laughs) Not not so much real life. It's just like a comedy trope that's come up a bunch. So, like, this is such a specific pool, but I don't know if you ever watched the Australian show Review. No. Okay, there was like a trope there there where there was like a character that would always pitch movies and they were just movies that already existed. Oh, right. And then right. on um I'm also a big fan of this podcast called Comedy Bang Bang. Yep. Um and there's a uh where comedians come on and do characters. And there's a character called Entrepreneur and all he does is pitch ideas that already exist. Right. That's but of great. course he goes to great lengths to kind of describe it. And then when the actual idea is brought up, he acts like he's never heard of it. And it's like, it's the same thing every time, but it, I don't, there's something inherently hilarious to me about that. Particularly like soccer, which is such a, you know, such like a big thing. The idea that this kid just has never heard of it and is convinced he's reinvented it. Is, and then willing to die on the hill that he's reinvented it. Oh, is yeah. Like that- my, is, again, characters willing to like die over the smallest stakes is my one of my favorite comedy tropes. Well, that, that's one of the reasons why it, it will sound weird that I had this weird affection for these two bullies, but it was because they were willing to, as you said, die on the hill for something yeah. that's already been invented and they were easily manipulated and it was like, ah, those guys. <laughs> <laughs> totally, yeah. There's like a likability to kind of just how basic they are, I think. Uh, it was great. I loved it. Uh, I don't want to give away too much because uh, I want people to read the graphic novel, but uh, Ed's life looks like it's starting to get a little bit of strain. Uh, sorry, uh, the relationship with Ed is starting yeah. to look like it's getting a bit strained towards the end. Uh, can you give us a hint of how Shay's going to move forward with this yeah. new responsibility and his everyday life? I mean, I think, you know, what kind of, you know, what you have to do to make a book like Under Kingdom interesting, right? If you have to have the the interplay between, you know, his two lives, so his life ruling the, the kingdom, you know, the Under Kingdom below town, and then his life above town. And for the most part, everyone important in his life, you know, Sabel, Lemon, his mum, they're all connected to the underground world. You know, Ed is this link to the surface world, you know. So the, the, his relationship with Ed is, is so important, you know, and that's, you know, and and there's definitely you know a bit of a bit of conflict in that relationship towards you know towards the end and and there'll definitely be that going forward. But ultimately, you know, it's going to be an ongoing relationship. Yeah. You know, I, 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 the, you know their 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 sort of friendship and as it's sort of beginning to become something more and and they kind of navigate that. So you know that 
as I navigate that, that's going to be complicated by, you know, everything Shay's going through. And there's certainly, we're going to meet, you know, if, if we get to do more, uh, you know, we, we, we're going to meet Ed's dad, who's further going to complicate things. And there's, yeah, we've, we've definitely got designs and that relationship is so key to the, key to the, the overall story. And we're really, you know, and hopefully, you know, if we do another book, we can actually focus on that a bit more. We tried to put in as much of Ed and Shay as we, we could, but I, you know, I would have loved to do more in this book. Yeah. Do you have a, a rough idea of uh, if there will be like a certain number of graphic yeah, novels? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think with Under Kingdom, uh, usually I'm pretty meticulously pl- planned out, but with Under Kingdom, it was really, all right, this works as a starting point. And I, I think Marie and I are both kind of in the mindset that, it's, you know, as long as we can be paid to do it, we want to make, you know, so that it's financially sustainable. We want to make these books. We both really, you know, Marie talks a lot about how a lot of what they do, funnily enough, is like horror. You know, the main kind of stuff they do are horror comics and fairly intense horror. Um, you know, so for them, Under Kingdom is such a wonderful kind of respite from that. Because um, it's just silly and dumb and just joyful, you know. And, and especially now I'm finding, you know, as I'm trying to break more into the adult comic market, do something a little bit, you know, darker and I'm trying to do some horror projects, you know, Under Kingdom becomes so much more important because it's just this refuge of just joy and light. So we, we both just want to do it for, you know, for as long as we can. I mean, anywhere between kind of like three to five books, I'd be, I'd be happy. But, you know, honestly, as long as I can make it work, I'd love to keep doing it. You know, it'd be great to be in a situation like Saga where Brian K. Vaughan yeah. and Fiona Staples just come back with the next part of the story when they can or totally. that would be great. Or even Brubaker and Phillips, you know, they they, they make, uh, I think they produced, what, five reckless graphic novels in a row and then their next one's something yeah. completely different, you know, so if you can keep coming back and feeding it, that would be great. Yeah, totally, you know, and I, I, I guess for both, you know, Vaughan and, and Brubaker there, they're both kind of in the the 1% of comic creators where they're just such, you know, undeniable names and, and yeah. talented. Yeah, they can kind of do that. Um, yeah, I'm hoping, you know, that, that you know, if the, if, if the first book sells well and we're, you know, able to kind of make an impact, yeah, that that that, that we, we can do more, yeah. No, oh, that'll be so good. Hey, I've got one final question for yeah, you. Course. And, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're getting ahead of ourselves here, but let's dream big. Uh, this gets made into a movie. So who would be your dream cast? I so this is look, uh so this is a dumb quote this is a dumb response. Um, but essentially the only thing that, that Marie Marie and I have discussed uh in stone is that Lemon has to have a New Zealand accent. So right. all all dragons in the world of Under Kingdom have a New Zealand accent. Great. They are not from New Zealand. I want no. to make that very clear. They're not from New Zealand, but they all have a New Zealand accent. Yeah, great. So, like, the dream casting for him would be, honestly, probably, like, Reese Darby would yeah. be, like, the, the dream, you know. And, but yeah, Reese Darby, Jermaine Clement. Um, there's an amazing New Zealand comedian guy. Some, oh, I mean, Guy Montgomery. Yeah, yeah. I would, I'd love Guy's voice, and he would, all, you know, would also be, like, another another pick as well. One of, one of the funniest people I know. I haven't seen Guy just in ages. Just everything he says is just... I just the way he kind of enunciates and stuff just makes me laugh so much. And I, yeah, whenever I hear his voice, I'm like, oh, I just want to see your voice coming out of a silly, loopy dragon. I want that as well. I, I used to produce a show down in Melbourne called The Shelf, and uh, we had Guy on uh, for a season. And uh, one of the shows, uh, it was during the comedy festival, and he, uh, he, 
you know, the, the classic uh, talking to someone in the audience and uh, taking their phone. And uh, he ended up uh, using that girl's phone to buy a ticket to his show. <laughs> and, oh, that's you know, amazing! And he was I so charming, that. and everyone just sat there. And and that's... also, the the girl's connection wasn't that great, and it was taking a little bit too long, and it still worked, and it was honestly one of the funniest things I've that's, seen. That's incredible! Oh, I love that so much. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, look, honestly, like, yeah, so, yeah, like, I just, yeah, guy, I guy Montgomery would be kind of like the lemon, or an, another another kind of dragon would be would be. Yeah, chef's gift. The, the way to go. All right, well, we'll have to introduce you to God. That's the, I, that's oh, the next job. Oh, I would love, God, I would love that. There's nothing like, I, I, there's nothing like, as a, like a writer that I like more than like the thought of meeting comedians. Right. Just because I'm, you know, compared to like what I do where I'm just in front of a computer, you know, you, you guys go out in front of an audience. It just, it seems so much cooler. So there's kind of like that. Yeah. That like, oh my goodness, I get to meet a comedian. <laughs> well, <laughs> we can sort you out with that. We can make that happen. So, <laughs> hey, uh, Christoph, I really love the graphic novel. Uh, when And I loved uh, Marie's work, so please pass on my best to them. Oh, uh, I will, yeah. Uh, when is the uh, book being launched and where are the best places for people to find it? Yeah, so it's coming out on April 5th. Um, so either you can ask your local comic shop um, if, if you have one, so if you're in Sydney, Kings is you know a, a wonderful yeah. comic shop, and they're going to be stocking Under Kingdom. It's also available to pre-order online. So if you just uh, Google Under Kingdom uh, comic pre-order, it, it'll come up. So you can do that through Amazon, through Barnes and Noble online, a bunch of different ways you can do it. Or you could also go to your local bookstore and and ask if they can get you a copy as well, because it's going to be available through um, uh, Penguin Random House distribution. Yeah, great. You know what? Uh, if uh, if people are keen to check it out, and it's a it's a really nice price as well. It's got a broad age range, and uh, if if people listening to this think, "Hey, I wouldn't mind getting that," uh, if you can pre-order, uh, that that'll really help you out. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, yeah, pre pre-orders are so incredibly important, for, particularly for the comics market, the way the comics market is set up. So if you're able to, that would mean the absolute world to me. Yeah, well, once it's out and you, we, it's been a success, and you're planning on uh, the the second uh, uh, graphic novel. You, you have to come back and uh, talk us through more and uh, share, share more of the stuff that you've uh, been uh, getting into. So, Christoph, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks, mate. Thank you so much, Justin. Thank you to Christoph for being my guest today. To check out his graphic novel, Under Kingdom, I'll post a link over at the Big Squid Facebook page and on my Twitter account as well. Thank you to Jess for being our shiny Patreon subscriber for the episode. I hope you enjoyed the chat today, Jess. If you'd like to support us but money is tied, a top review on Apple Podcasts helps people find the work that my friends and I are doing here. And I'll be back next week with the next Mission Impossible. That's right, Adam, Richard and I are digging into Mission Impossible 3. That's the third in the series, in case you weren't sure. (laughs) Uh, Let's finish today with a quote from the legendary cartoonist Art Spiegelman. With any work worth its salt, you have to trust the author enough to take its measure. And if you apply too many preconceptions, you are not taking its measure. Until then.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.